feel alive. Those two words appeared on my computer screen a few days ago. I was working on my laptop and an advertisement came up on some web page and it was an advertisement for a new Mazda SUV, the Mazda CX-30. Feel alive were the words that appeared on the ad. The camera showed a nice sculpted exterior, shiny new car. Then the camera moved to the interior, an elegantly designed interior with a, with a guy around my age driving it, handsome. And the words in all caps floating over his experience, feel alive. Now I think I know why the advertising agency that Mazda hired would choose that phrase in a year like the one we're having right now, feel alive, because the year that we're having right now has been marked by much death, hasn't it? We all have been touched in one way or another by the obvious cause of death. I've known two people personally who've died of COVID-19. And I'm sure there could be many stories told around this lawn of other ways that we've all been impacted by it. But maybe if you haven't even known somebody who has died, we've seen in our culture many measurements of death. We've seen the death of decency in our public discourse, the death of many small businesses that we love, the death of trust in our institutions, we can all use a little bit of feeling alive, couldn't we? And according to the coffer counters at Mazda for 24,999 of your hard-earned dollars, you too could feel alive. But I'm here to tell you this morning to remind us all what it says in our scripture that there is a greater source of life than even a shiny new SUV that we can do more this morning than just feel alive. We can actually come alive if we come to the source of life itself. So let's look at the story together to find out how to access this power, this power of life, beginning in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. So there's three characters in the story so far. There's Jesus. It tells us that he's deeply moved by what he sees. We can just pause on that detail for just a moment. Jesus knows the power he holds in his hands to bring Lazarus out of the grave. He knows how this story is going to go, but even so, he's deeply moved. He's agonized. He's full of compassion. This is important for us to remember because when God looks down on our world, a year like we're having right now, or some of the places in our lives that have been marked by death, he knows he holds resurrection power. He knows the end of the story and its victory, but he's still deeply moved with compassion for our situations. No other religious narrative in history offers a God who grieves with us. Jesus is deeply moved. Martha, in the story so far, she thinks Jesus is a little bit confused. She says, Jesus, you're not going to want to roll away that stone. Maybe you don't understand. My brother's been dead for four days. There's going to be an odor coming out of there. You notice how Martha is always trying to manage the situation in every story? 
She thinks, Jesus, Jesus, let me explain to you. So that's Martha. There's a third character so far in the story, and it's Lazarus himself. Let's just kind of focus in on Lazarus for a moment, unpleasant as it is. You see his body lying there. It's really dead. Martha's concerned about the, the stench, the stink of death. Lazarus is really dead. He's been in this tomb for four days. He's been lifeless for four days. I want us to kind of zoom in on that a little bit. I want us to think about Lazarus in his state, and I want to ask the question, what does Lazarus need from Jesus in this moment? In order for the story to play out the way that we all know it's going to play out, because we just heard it read for us and we might be familiar with it, what does Lazarus need from Jesus in that moment? Let me ask it a different way. What doesn't Lazarus need? from Jesus. I can think of a few things. Here's something Lazarus doesn't need for the story to play out the way we know it's going to play out. Lazarus doesn't need from Jesus the power of positive thinking, does he? He doesn't need Jesus to stand outside the tomb and say, okay, Lazarus, you got this. Believe in yourself. It's not going to do him much good, is it? Another thing Lazarus doesn't need from Jesus is some kind of material provision. Jesus could have laid a, a plate of rice outside the tomb, a loaf of bread. Jesus could have produced a brand new Mazda CX-30. I heard that these things make you feel alive. Wouldn't have helped Lazarus, would it? He could have given Lazarus a new house, a new boat, a job promotion. He could have gotten his kids into the best college. Did Lazarus need any of that in that moment? No. Another thing Lazarus didn't need from Jesus in this moment is instructions. Jesus could have stood outside the tomb and said, Okay, Lazarus, I've got ten steps to your best life now. Step one, start saving 15% for retirement. None of that would have been useful. Why am I talking about this in this way? Because according to the New Testament, your spiritual self, your spiritual being, your soul and mine are in the same condition because of sin as Lazarus's physical body was at this point in the story. Did you know that? It's true. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are dead in our sins. Following the course of this world, following the passions and desires of our flesh. We're like dead bodies. That's what happens to our spiritual being. Romans chapter 6 says it this way, the wages of sin, come on Christians, finish it with me, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. What does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? Let me give a couple examples. The wages of sin is death. If I were to begin sort of embodying the sin of lying all the time, if I lied to you, if I lied to my wife, if I lied to my kids, if I lied to the staff here at the church, I would experience the death of trust. Nobody would trust me anymore. The wages of sin is death. If I were to begin lusting more, looking at things on the internet I shouldn't be looking at, looking at women around me in a lustful way, I would experience the death of intimacy with my wife. The wages of sin is death. 
If I were to begin eating and drinking and smoking anything I wanted to all day, every day, I would experience literal physical death. I would be less healthy in my body. The wages of sin is death. If I were to be greedy, me, 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 more, 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 I would experience the death of gratitude in my life. The list goes on. There's a reason the Roman Catholic Church calls that list the seven deadly sins. The wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2, we're dead in our sins. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Romans 7, the apostle Paul is all entangled. He's trying to figure out how to overcome the sin patterns in his life. And finally, he throws up his hands in the air and he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? You see, our spiritual beings, when we are caught in sin, when we are trapped in sin, when we are marked by sin, they're dead inside. So let me ask you again, what did Lazarus need from Jesus in that moment? Because it's the same answer that what our spiritual beings need from Jesus when we are dead in sin. Yet so often we pray for the things that we all just agreed wouldn't work for Lazarus, don't we? We pray for positive encouragement. We pray for material provision. We want instructions that we want to manage our way out of sin. But what we need in our spiritual beings is the same thing that Lazarus needed. We need resurrection power. We need the one who conquered death to come and make us alive. We need the one who took the wages of all of our sin upon himself. That's why he died. The wages of sin is death. He took all the death that our sins deserve upon himself on the cross, and then three days later conquered death. He's the one with resurrection power, and that's what we need from him to get unstuck from our sin. It kind of changes the way we pray a little bit. We would pray like the apostle Paul, throwing our hands in the air saying, who will rescue me from this body of death? It's all about what he can do. Not that we can manage our way out of it. In fact, the very next verse, I think Jesus is reiterating that same truth. We pick up the story in verse 40 in his response to Martha. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. Notice he doesn't say, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you could produce the glory of God? Her belief simply opened her eyes to the glory of God, the resurrection power of Jesus. If we believe, he opens our eyes to see his greater work, his better work, his rescuing, redeeming, atoning, saving work for us. That's what we need from him. And he says this interesting prayer next to continue to shift the focus of the story onto him and his power. We pick it up in verse 41. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. I find this to be a little bit of an odd prayer, but simply, I think Jesus is is saying to the people standing by and to all of us, 
It's not about what Lazarus can do for himself. It's not about what Martha can manage in the situation. It's about the one who holds the power that we all need in his hands, namely Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death. Shift the focus of the story off of ourselves and onto him and his resurrection power. Let everyone standing around know who it is who sent me. And so the story becomes more and more about Jesus and his resurrection power. Now the story continues in verse 43. When he had said these things, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I want you to picture this in this moment. I had you picture Lazarus a couple of minutes ago, stinking, decaying, dying. I know it's unpleasant. <laughs> and if you're new to the church, if you maybe wandered in off the street or you're watching us online, I'm sorry to tell you this part of the story, but your sin stinks like death. The wages of sin is death. I had you picture that a few minutes ago because I, I really want you to be able to picture now this very same man, Lazarus, being called out of that place, being called out of that tomb. I quoted Ephesians 2, Romans 6, and Romans 7 a few minutes ago that described our sin leading to death, but I didn't finish the sentence on any of those verses. Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, the passions and desires of our flesh. But God has made us alive together with Christ. But God has made us alive together with Christ, just like he did for Lazarus. He's done for us in our spiritual beings. Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's available to you and it's available to me, just like it was available to Lazarus. Romans 7, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You got to finish the sentence in your story. Maybe some of you this morning are resonating with some of this, this concept of sin leading to death. Maybe there's some places in your heart this morning where you realize they have atrophied into death. There's some sin patterns in your life. When I read those seven deadly sins a few minutes ago, maybe you said, yeah, me too, lying or lusting or greed. Or maybe it's just despair from all the isolation and all the loneliness. And maybe you've had thoughts even of your own death. Maybe there's the death of intimacy in your marriage. But God, the wages of sin is death. All those things, all those patterns we get ourselves into, they lead to one place. They lead to death. But God, we don't need the power of positive thinking. We don't need more material provision. We don't even need instructions. If our souls, if our spiritual beings have been led to death by sin, we need resurrection power. And Jesus gives it. He gave it to Lazarus that day, and he's available to us this morning to give it to us. Picture now, as I read these next couple of verses, picture your own spiritual life. Picture those places in you 
that maybe have been led to death, have been wandered off or atrophied or decayed to death, those places in your life that you know stink like sin and death. Just picture those, those now. And now hear this. Lazarus? Frank? Joanne? Wiley? Amy? Stanwich? Come alive. Come out. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. I love that phrase, the man who had died, in case there's any ambiguity about who was coming out of that tomb. It's not someone else. His friend wasn't in there with him. The very man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Get those stinky cloths off of him. Let him walk on out of there. Resurrection power has visited this man today. Some of you need to have friends or, or family members or church members come to you and say, you still stink. Let me wrap that up. Let me unwrap that from your life. You have resurrection power available to you. Come out. Come alive. I hope the neighbors can hear this. It's been a year that stinks like death. We've all been in our caves, haven't we? It's been an interesting fall for me because it's the season where we're reminded of the cycle of life, the death, the, the, the trees are changing color. But having us all out here on this lawn after seven months of being holed up in our caves, it feels like spring out here to me. It does. A couple of you are coming awake this morning. Do you know that resurrection power is available to you? You have to be honest with God about the places in your life that sin has led you to death, the death of many things in your life. You have to bring those before God and say, here's what I need from you. It's not positive thinking. It's not a new material provision. It's not instructions. I need rescue. I need you to call my name and bring me out of that place. I need friends around me to unwrap those grave cloths so I can walk free in the newness of life that you have afforded for me. I don't want to go back into that cave. So breathe your resurrection life on me. This is a daily prayer. Church, come alive.